Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, where each time we meet, we run down the IT news of the week with a variable degree of snarkiness. I'm your host, Stephen Foskett, and joining me today is a special guest host, Gerard Cavallinas. Nice to have you here, Gerard. Thanks, Steve, for having me. I'm super excited to be here this morning. Well, normally we introduce the day by talking about what observances or funny holidays they are, but since today is 420, I'm just not going to do that. Instead, let's dive right into the IT news of the week. It was just announced a few days ago that Google has melded uh, InfiniBand and Cray's Ares Interconnect to create something new called Aquila. This is an entirely new distributed switching architecture with a new GNET protocol that they claim allows for consistent and low latency performance that they've been searching for. It's a huge moment for Google, but I'm not sure about the IT industry. What's your take on this, Gerard? I think it's definitely a huge moment and it's something that they've wanted to, and they've been searching for for so long because it's going to provide so many solutions on so many different levels. Uh, for one, this protocol actually changes the data format and it's not going to be all packets. It focuses more on like cell-based layer two switching. And since they're smaller in packets, that's going to allow for better performance, lower latency, and then just higher quality links overall. The other key thing too is they didn't want to invest a whole lot in the hardware itself. So they instead chose to build uh, with a single chip that has both NIC and switch functionality integrated in, and that's really going to change everything. It's going to deliver a huge powerhouse piece of hardware that I think everyone's going to be really excited about. This week, I also found out too, Nutanix CFO Dustin Williams has resigned. Uh, he's going to be joining an unnamed startup company to take on an entirely new challenge. Uh, initially, Williams was an integral part of planning and transitioning the company into a more subscription-based model. Uh, it's been successful for Nutanix, though we don't know what this new company is going to be yet. Uh, it's going to be a different market entirely, and he's going to be replaced by the senior vice president of financial analysis, uh, Rukaimi Savaraman, and stay with the company until April 30th to help with that transition. Stephen, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think this is the next step in the transition for Nutanix. Uh, it's important to note that uh, uh, Williams had been with the company for seven or eight years now, and of course was part of the old guard. It's kind of typical that this is what happens when a company changes. You know, they bring in new new people to basically uh, adapt the company to a new model. And that seems to be what's going on here. Uh, remember as well that, uh, you know, in addition to uh, new executive leadership across the board, uh, Nutanix also has a new SVP of product marketing, uh, Lee Caswell, who's a friend of mine personally, as well as a new chief marketing officer and uh, head of engineering. Uh, many of these folks came in from VMware, and so it's no surprise that uh, you know Nutanix is trying to bring in folks like that to help refocus and uh, redirect the company. Gerard, although it hasn't been adopted or ratified yet, uh, Wi-Fi 7 technology made the news this week thanks to Broadcom. Uh, supporting all three channels, 16 spatial streams, and channel widths up to 320 megahertz, uh, not to mention uh, 4096 QAM technology. Uh, Wi-Fi 7 hardware promises speeds up to 46 gigabits. Is this the dawn of Wi-Fi 7 or is something else going on here? I think it definitely is. And, and one of the big things too, is I was reading a little while ago that Meraki is actually one of their newer series of solutions, both switches and their APs are integrating and focusing a lot more on these advanced technologies. So Wi-Fi 7 is going to change the way we'll be able to connect have more security, better bandwidth, and it gives overall better performance. So I'm excited to see where it goes as far as increasing those speeds and kind of how it works, not just from the Cisco side, but, you know, different AP and, and networking manufacturers such as Aruba and so forth. So up till this point, 
I want to ask you, Stephen, Intel's Octane technology, it's been really coupled by their uh, their Xeon scalable, so their server issues. They've been having them for quite some time. Uh, their Smart Modular just announced the PCIe card that's going to bring Octane memory to AMD server platform. But what it's going to do is use Intel's own FPGAs to do it. Uh, the Kestrel AIC, I think it's the card itself, has two terabytes of Octane DIMMs, and it includes an ARM CPU. So how do you feel about them, you know, kind of improving that hardware, and where is it going to take us into the, into the next few years or so? Yeah, this is an interesting story because, uh, as you said, uh, Optane has been a big differentiator for, uh, for Intel for their Xeon scalable platform. And by bringing this technology to uh, AMD's server technology, server platform, uh, it potentially erodes a little bit of Intel's dominance. We talked about this in previous weeks when we were talking about, for example, AMD's purchase of Pensando and Xilinx. Uh, AMD really has been successful recently, but mainly on the back of the CPU cores themselves, whether it's the Epic or the Ryzen or even the Threadripper, which are in short supply. Uh, AMD really is a CPU company more than a platform company. Intel, on the other hand, has still been uh, rolling forward, especially in the cloud and hyperscaler space, with uh, custom uh, server configurations across the board and with ancillary technologies like Optane Persistent Memory, uh, their Ethernet 800, their FPGAs, and so on. It's very, very clear that uh, Intel is uh, trying to hold off AMD thanks to this kind of platform technology mix and that AMD is trying to attack uh, Intel's position thanks to that. Uh, again, if Optane gives Intel a, a big advantage, which it does financially especially, since you can equip a server with Optane persistent memory DIMMs and uh, perform just as well as a server with a lot of expensive RAM in it, then uh, it's clear that AMD needs this technology. Now, I'm not sure if this uh, particular solution, the smart modular Kestrel card, is going to really do much to make an impact on the server market. But I do suspect that AMD is keenly aware of the challenges that they're facing by not having a competitive uh, platform for big memory applications. And I suspect that we're going to hear more from AMD in the coming weeks and months uh, with more uh, attacks on the Intel market position. So Gerard, let's take a little bit of a closer look now at a big story. Uh, there's been a lot of technology talk for, for years about the suspicion that our IoT devices may have been listening to us. Well, it appears that you might not be as muted as you think. Some individuals found that a ton of popular video conferencing apps actually fail to disable the device microphone. And these apps have the ability to access that audio data even though you're supposed to be muted. Um, what do you think about this? Are we really muted? Um, is somebody really listening to what's going on on our conference calls? You know, it's funny hearing that is the first thing I think of anyway. It sounds like Skynet, right? Like someone's listening in. It's this, this kind of advanced technology. But I feel like that's always been around for a while, you know, and that that's just my opinion on everybody, you know, has their own. I respect that. I just feel that, you know, for the longest time, we always say, you know, a lot of these platforms, I mean, a ton of different ones, such as Zoom. Cisco WebEx and a, and a ton of other, you know, uh, video conferencing apps and platforms provide that service where they'll mute you and it doesn't pick up that audio. But I still think somewhere in there, it captures that voice data, those analytics, and it does hear you to some extent. I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, as we're changing and as these platforms are growing and we're implementing new hardware, to, you know, to kind of combat these solutions as well. The fact that it's still around is, is, is pretty intriguing to me. I mean, what do you think, Stephen? Something you've, you've kind of focused on or you've heard a little bit about yourself? 
Yeah, it's interesting. If you read the details of this paper, which, by the way, came from uh, University of Wisconsin, Loyola, and uh, University of Chicago, um, the uh, story is that essentially these apps, specifically uh, Cisco WebEx, but uh, also some other apps, are actually not muting the microphone at all. They're just not transmitting the audio to the other end of the conversation. Now, this stands in contrast to what's going on with the cameras, when you mute the camera, as it were, uh, it actually turns off the camera. And the, that's uh, indicated on many laptops by a change of a little light or something like that. You can see that the camera is really turned off. But what it seems is that a lot of these apps are continuing to record audio and uh, continuing to use this. Now, my feeling, though, is that this may be kind of a nothing story, because one of the things that's going on here is that a lot of the apps are actually using the muted audio um, programmatically to make sure that the uh, levels are adjusted and that things like, uh, you know, so dynamic level control and also uh, in some cases dynamic mute are functioning properly. And so for that reason, they can't necessarily turn off the microphones if they're not in use because they are actually, you know, in use. So it, it is a question, I think, uh, what exactly is going on here, whether these applications are uh, still using the audio for sort of infrastructure programmatic purposes, or whether they're just being lazy, and maybe it's a case of inconsistent APIs or something like that, or if they're actually doing something nefarious. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was reading this weekend with re regard to the story as well, uh, an ex-Google engineer um, basically just wrote an article saying, uh, is Google listening to you? And the answer is, nope, Google's not listening to you. Uh, essentially, this is somebody who would know better and um, is basically affirming that, no, that's really not what's happening. It's just one of those things that people believe is happening. I think from my background in the AI space and seeing what's been going on with machine learning technology, uh, one of the biggest challenges for these things is that uh, Google gets so much information about you uh, and their information is so broad that it can convince you that they have to be listening to you even when you're muted, because frankly, it seems like it's listening to your conversation. But of course, in many cases, what it's actually doing is just watching your behavior and uh, through conventional nefarious means like web cookies and so on, and web searches and watching your email and so on, and um, giving you uh, recommendations based on that. So I suspect that this is more um, incompetence than malice on the part of Cisco, but also, um, you know, all these other uh, applications, and that they're probably not really listening to you. But at the same time, I applaud them for looking into this, because frankly, it's important to know whether uh, applications are eavesdropping on our conversations. I mean, wouldn't you feel that way as well? Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's funny too, to, to, to piggyback off what you had said about you know, focusing on behavior, it's kind of no different too. And I'm used, I tell my wife all the time, she's like, coming on my browsing history or how come I'm searching something that just pulls up something and I explain to her, it's very similar. It's like, it's not that they're listening. It's just because it, it monitors that behavior so closely. And it's almost like, you know, dictation software. It sees what you do and the more it sees, the better it understands your search patterns and the different types of things that it's focusing on. Hence why, you know, if you go to YouTube, 
it learns those search patterns and it'll pull up all those different videos. But I agree. I think it's one of those things. And as, as I've always said, I love Cisco, uh, you know, always one of my favorites, but I think it's one of those things over time. It's probably an oversight. Same with zoom. And a lot of them, they're maybe just not aware of it because they're focused on a lot more bigger features. They want to provide us the best quality. They want to make sure, you know, these solutions, especially in the times we're facing are definitely up to par. So I think it's something over time they're going to kind of address maybe in a bug fix or a newer uh, iOS release. I do want to say, too, by the way, that I am actually really um, happy that some platforms like iOS actually give you an, an indication of when the microphone is active and when the camera is active. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but that little dot in the corner, is it, that's what it's showing you, whether your microphone is listening to you or not. And, um, and it is very, very helpful to have that and to have strict controls over these things because it gives people the information they need about whether this stuff is happening or not. I, I would love to see more of that happening. Uh, I noticed that, for example, Mac OS recently indicated a little dot as well that shows whether your microphone is listening. And uh, again, I, I, I'm happy to see that as well. I think it would be more useful if it was implemented in hardware, like some of the camera ones are. But um, you know, I, I think people should know, even if it is being done for non-nefarious programmatic purposes. And I think that it should be very clear that uh, when you're muted, you're muted or not. So uh, let's turn now to a little bit of what's going on in the rest of the industry. Uh, This week uh, ahead, we've got a couple of uh, events coming up. Um, Gerard, uh, take us through some of the networking events here. We are going to have, and I'm really excited for it, uh, May 4th to the 6th is going to be Networking Field Day 28. Always one of my favorite events, especially since it was one of my first events that I was fortunate enough to get to be a part of. Uh, after that, on May 2nd to the 5th, is going to be Dell Technologies World. Uh, on May 18th to the 20th will be AI Field Day 3. And then June 12th to the 16th is going to be Cisco Live US, baby. Woo! First in-person one for the first time in about two or three years. So I'm super excited for that as well. It's going to be a great time, and I can't wait. Excellent. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to those events. If you'd like to learn more, uh, you can click through in the show notes, or you can just go to techfieldday.com for the Tech Field Day events. So uh, thanks very much for joining us for this uh, quick episode of the Gestalt IT Rundown. Uh, Remember that this is available as a podcast as well as live on YouTube every Wednesday. And um, we can also post these videos on our Facebook page and LinkedIn. We'll be back next Wednesday to talk about all the IT news of the week that was. And uh, we'll be welcoming back our traditional host, Mr. Tom Hollingsworth. But Gerard, thank you very much for joining us and for all of us in the IT, uh, Gestalt IT family. Uh, thanks, and I hope that you have a great day. See you, everyone.